0: Blob Talk Radio
1: Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. Welcome to Reclaiming Your Sacred Path. I'm your host, John Anastasio, and we're here a conversation about growth and the human spirit. I'm a healing practitioner, I'm an educator, I'm an author, and I'm a high priest of the Karelian nativist tradition. We're here to explore how you can set your own spiritual direction, get guidance directly from spirit, focus and direct your energy, and follow your own heart-centered path. Well, welcome, and thank you for joining me tonight uh, for this discussion of soul purpose, reclaiming your sacred path to rediscover your soul's purpose, and self-definition, the way that we talk about ourselves and the way that we walk our sacred path. And we're gonna get into both of those things in a little bit. So this is John, and I am coming to you from Clinton, Washington on beautiful Whidbey Island where I run a healing and personal growth practice I call center for power and healing. And, uh, when I thought about the name of that practice, I, I do, I am a Reiki master practitioner and I also do shamanic healing and I do life path coaching based on the book, reclaiming your sacred path. And when I put the practice together, I realized there was also a sentence that it's essential to center to come into alignment and, If we're going to come into our true power and heal and be healed. And so that's kind of what that's all about. So if you want to know more about me and about what I do, please check out my website, www.powerandhealing.com. And if you have a question or want to share your perspective with me, you can call me at, or sorry, you can email me at john, J-O-N, at powerandhealing.com and i'll be happy to respond to you either personally or on the air as you choose just let me know you can also find out how to get the book reclaiming your sacred path by going to my website or by emailing me so the subtitle of reclaiming your sacred path is using divination manifestation and healing to resume your spiritual journey and the thing about resuming your journey, the whole the whole thing came from my feeling like I had completely derailed on my own spiritual pathway um, and having to find my way back to it. And that's really a big chunk of what I use as a sort of cautionary tale uh, in reclaiming your sacred path. But once we're on this path, whatever stops we may make along the way, and however we may define it, we... We're on it. We don't get off it. Uh, I believe it was uh, Carlos Castaneda quoting Don Juan saying, once you're on the sorcerer's path, you can't. That's it. You're on it. And you may as well get used to it. And reclaiming your sacred path is a process for those times when we feel stalled along the road. It's a set of steps to get us back on track. So thanks for being with me tonight. We're going to talk about, actually, I've said in the description of this, we're going to talk about phase zero in reclaiming your sacred path. So before you even embark on it, what are some things we need to think about, talk about, see maybe differently? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And as you know, today is a very special day in the pagan calendar. Uh, Last night, Samhain, happy new year here on Pagans Tonight radio network. And the day of the dead coming up. So some people celebrate that some people don't. But that's the great thing about being pagan is we do what we feel is right. And that is, in fact, the best part of a spiritual pathway is that it's experiential, and we do what works, and we leave what doesn't. So. It's still it's true that this is the time when the, the veil is very thin. We're at Samhain on, in the northern hemisphere, and we're at Beltane in the southern hemisphere. And it's a very powerful time for psychic work, and for connecting with the ancestors and making offerings, and trying and attuning to them and connecting with them and communing with them. So it's easier to make contact at this time of year with ancestors and others on the other side if you're talented in that way. And some of us may see spirit. Some of us may hear. Some of us may feel. Some may just know that those who we love, who are no longer in body, are present. And the time between yesterday and tomorrow night is one of the strongest times, as I said, to make offerings and commune with your ancestors. And so if you'd like to call in and share what you're doing around Samhain and around this time of year and around the new year, how you're beginning it, um, please give me a call, 347-308-8222. And uh, every Samhain, um, one of the first things I do is I do a card reading for myself for the year. And that reading I get to amplify every month It's sort of uh, a monthly theme that I generate. And then each month I'll do another reading to get more specific. And, of course, other days during the month. But things like that and celebrations and all that kind of stuff. Love to hear about it. So all of that about the veil and about connecting with spirit has a lot to do with what I want to talk about tonight. As I was thinking about this time of year and thinking about connecting with the other side, and the fact that we're connecting with these individuals, with these spirits, with these those who have been meaningful to us and, and connected to us, who are no longer in body, we're also connecting with a state of being. And it's a state of being that we will come to when we reach the finish line here, when we are done with this lifetime. And that means it's also the state of being we were in before We entered this lifetime because it's going to be the state of being we're in before we enter the next one. And a lot of this may seem elementary to a lot of you, um, but I want to talk about it in a way that sort of made sense to me and see what you think about it. So give me a call if you want to chat about it or send me an email. But the themes that we hear so often in all of our books and all of the work that we do uh, is that. We are each an autonomous spiritual being. We have every right and every capability to create our own relationship with deity, to express that relationship and what we learn from it and the values that drive us in our activities here on this world. So we have an inner pathway, an inner pathway that we are following that is getting us closer to deity and getting us closer to our higher selves and to our guides and and angels and whoever is supporting you and other beings. We also have the outer expression of our path, which is how we take who we are inside and express it externally, express it in our work and our relationships and express it in the way we care for our own well being and the well being of others. So You've also heard, I'm sure, many times the phrase that you are a spiritual being having a physical experience. And the truth is, as we know, that our eternal souls will never die. We live in a cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. And in between rebirth and birth, there is something that we do. Uh, I believe, and I know many people believe, that we make an agreement with ourselves, with our higher self with our ancestors, perhaps, and spirit guides, about what we, what, what. first we review. What did we get done in the lifetime we just left? And what lessons did we learn? And where are lessons that we didn't quite get there we need to repeat? We didn't necessarily ask for everything that happens to us in this lifetime and the consequences, but everything that happens to us is an opportunity to learn. And so we have that conversation before we arrive here about what our focus will be for this life, what our purpose, what purpose we will serve and what lessons our soul is going to seek to learn in this lifetime. And as you know, as many of you know, if you, the things you find yourself confronted with over and over again, there's a clue. Uh, The things that, that you're attracted to, that's another clue. So your life path, your sacred path is the expression of your soul's purpose manifest in the physical, providing the lessons that you came here to learn. So if that's all true, what a great divine plan. This sort of go through one, one grade and graduate and come back and take the next grade with a little bit of makeup work, perhaps. So if that's all true, that's a great divine plan. So why don't we remember? Well, Some of us do. Some of us are born old, and we do remember, and we have more than a glimpse. Uh, Some people have definite insight into the capabilities they brought with them. Some people know that they are here on multi-generational work that they're carrying forward. And some people are extremely skilled, almost from birth. What gets in the way of us remembering from the very start of this lifetime Here's why I'm here. This is going to be my path. Wouldn't it be great if the moment that we sort of had cognitive awareness and could use language to talk to ourselves, if we said, okay, let me just go through the checklist. Here's why I'm here. So I better get on it. Well, we do get glimpses, like I said, in dreams in divination and deja vu experiences, astral travel, shamanic journeys But every time we have one of those experiences, we land right back here, unable to sustain the level of vibration in that higher state of consciousness, unless we've really practiced and know how to do that. So why is that? Well, we've come to a set of agreements about who and what we are, with some debate about just who is in charge, what he or she looks like and wants from us, if anything, and how to go about connecting with spirit, and how to discipline ourselves to use divination, manifestation, and healing. And when I say we've come to a set of agreements, I'm now talking about the pagan community. um There are certain things we have in common, certain things we don't. Some people codify that dogma uh, into dogma and behavioral expectations, call it a religion, and some practice solitary forever in order to do the same things: divination, manifestation, and healing. And so, what I when I think about the fact that. One of the, the one of the reasons we believe that we lose sight of what our purpose is is that the birth process is sufficiently traumatic, being ejected from one state of being into another, uh, that we sort of don't take it with us. We we have that experience of we have what I call the great forgetting. There's a couple of ways to think about that. That's that to me is the great forgetting, the big forgetting. That's the one where we basically said. We we came out and said, I have no idea why I'm here. You know, where am I and how did I get in this handbasket if we could speak at that time? And of course, in miracles would say that the reason we forgot it is because we separated from God in order to come here and that in separating from God, we created guilt and fear. Um, so those are two ways of thinking about it. I think that given that I'm a learning practitioner above all else. I like the theory about we're here to learn. We're here to learn and learn from the experiences that we have in this life. So this is the time for doing a lot of reflection. We now are beginning the dark half of the year. And all of the festivities of the last few days are the celebration before we go inward. And our job now one of our roles is to reflect on the light half of the year behind us and how we feel about the harvest that we've reaped from our efforts. And one of the things about reflection is if we're doing a lot of divination, we're doing a lot of journey work, uh, path working. is it becomes because we have this ability to do the little forgetting, you know, we don't remember unless it's a really vivid dream. We often, or a lucid dream, we often don't remember it when we wake up. And sometimes the ones that stick with us fade after a couple days and the same with the journeys, the same with the path, working. the experience is so profound, but if we don't make it our business to remember, then we won't uh, and it will fade from our consciousness. And so journaling in the dark half of the year is critically important to really keep track of what are my insights? What did I, what do I take from, when I look at the light half of the year just passed, you know and and I guess the dark half of the year really began at Maybon, but we're now solidly in it um, we think about what is the harvest we reap from what we did during the light half of the year when we were so active when we were so sun driven what is it that that we did that was successful what did we try that didn't work so well what did we learn from both of those things and all of the festivities of the last few days are the celebration before we go inward and reflect on the light half of the year behind us and how we feel about the harvest that we reap as a result. When we come back, I'm going to play a song right now, and when we come back, I am going to we're uh, going to talk about the great forgetting in a little more detail. And uh, this song is called The The Wild Hunt, and it's by Alexander James Adams. So hang in with me for a second, and we will get this going. If you want to call in, again, the number is 347-308-8222, and I'd love to hear from you. All right, and welcome back. That was actually Chronolus, The Wild Hunt by Chronolus. So thank you for listening to that, to a little bit honor about the energy that we are in right now. So before we broke, I talked about uh, the great forgetting um, and about the birth process and uh, the fact that you know, whether it's the brain capacity of being an infant or whatever it is, causes us to forget why it is we came here. And so the rest of our journey is to remember and act upon our soul path. And the thing is that we don't completely forget what happened before this lifetime. Uh, One of the things that uh, people often do, you could try this with, if you have children, small children, toddlers um, is to ask them, you know, if they're verbal, obviously they can answer you and and give you, give you a, a verbal answer. So what, what did you like to do when you were big? And I asked both of my kids this, my, both of my younger children this when they were when they were uh, toddlers, and, and we asked them this, and we got some very interesting answers um, that clearly made it made it apparent that they were talking about something that they had not experienced yet. Not always. You have to, everybody's got to be sort of really relaxed and in that zone, in that almost alpha state. So like while you're, when, you're, when you're putting them to bed and you're relaxing and you've just read a book, asking that question may get you a very interesting response. But for most people, it doesn't last. And just as we, I know we've, we've had so many, we have so many discussion groups, so many conversations about uh, people who as children, how those of us who had psychic abilities as children that we became uh, pretty adept at. And when our parents found out about it or significant others, you know, in schools or churches found out about it, we were essentially uh, pushed out of, you know, we we repressed those things. And we then spend a fair chunk of our adulthood trying to get them back. Um, But, We go through a process, we go through that process of learning how to be the way society expects us to be uh, at a really critical time in our lives from a cognitive perspective, from the way our brains are built to grow and develop. Um, And those of you who know the name Rudolf Steiner, the famous metaphysician and founder of the Waldorf schools, would say that by the time we're nine years old, we're pretty much baked. Our personality is set, our habits are set, our preferences, whatever preferences we were born with, we have learned to express, and whatever ones we've developed are pretty much set. But our training continues through certainly past nine years old, and we go through what a good friend of mine named John Shearer calls our somebody training. We get trained how to be somebody by the definition of our parents and by the definition of the institutions that we're a part of. And if you... Google the phrase be, do, and have, uh, you will find many references to a principle I'm going to explain right now. That for most of us, when we are growing up, we're taught that if we do things in the right way, according to the culture that we're growing up in, then we will have the good life, however, that culture defines the good life. And here in the United States, all you have to do is turn on the TV, and in between, you know, your episodes, you will see what the good life is supposed to be. And so if you do the things you're supposed to do, you will have the good life, and then you will be happy. And in fact, what happens when we embark on our sacred path, when we reclaim our sacred path, is that we realize that that's backwards that first what we have to do is remove all of the dross, release all of the resistance, the blockages, all of the layers of traumatic and other kinds of experience that we have to release ourselves from the consequences, the fear and the guilt and the shame that come from all of that. Because what we need to do is get to the nugget of who we truly are, that spiritual being who is having this physical experience. and. Once we get there, if we can be who we authentically are, we will naturally do the things that resonate with us from a values perspective and from a an effectiveness perspective and if So, if we can be that, if we can be our true selves, we will do those things, and then we will have what we most want so we experience the little forgettings throughout our lives, because what happens is who we really are and why we're really here shows up for us in these ways that are, that are sort of, uh, when we're, when we're when we least expect it. And those half remembered forgotten dreams, the inability to remember the details of the shamanic journey, those are all the little forgettings, as I said. And the other thing that we have going for us is our feelings. And I already talked about how we're trained to think and observe and act in a certain way. But to some degree, we're also trained to feel in a certain way. Certain feelings are acceptable, appropriate. Uh, Certain feelings are not when you're very young. And the interesting thing about that is those of you who know about the work of Abraham, uh, the, the group of entities channeled by Esther Hicks. She talks about the fact that our feelings, they talk about the fact that our feelings are really our navigator. When we feel badly, when we feel wrong, when we feel off, when we feel depleted, when we feel like our energy has just drained out the bottom of our feet and we can barely get ourselves moving, then something is wrong. We're off course. It's an indicator to us that we, are, that we need to do something different. We need to think differently. We need to, we need to do something differently. And when we experience love and joy and satisfaction, we're in alignment, our true self. Now, that doesn't mean by any means that the world is going to be unicorns and rainbows, as the saying goes. And you just need to not see what's going on and then you'll be fine. But that, that doesn't work. Satisfaction can come from seeing something that needs correcting, and correcting it, or acting to correct it, in the best way you possibly can. We're here, we're here to act, not just observe. To be in this world, but not of it, doesn't mean we don't care. We have to respond to what confronts us in our lives and answer it with spirit. And our lessons are learned through engagement with all of the things that face us in our lives, engagement in our devotions and our engagement with deity and in our magic with the spirits who support us and in our work, our relationships and the way we manage our lives and our well-being, our physical and psychological well-being. So reclaiming your sacred path is really about you finding your way back to feeling connected to the divine and aligned with your soul's purpose and then expressing that divine through the way that the divine, sorry, through the way that you show up in the world. And so much depends on how we talk to ourselves and how we talk about ourselves. And when we come back from this musical break, I am going to talk about this whole idea of self-definition, which comes from a conversation that started a while ago about um, a meme that came through in uh, on Facebook that was talking about what it is to be a pagan and the um, and the thing about the thing about that meme was that it was talking it was defining us in terms of what we are, but also in terms of what we are not and so I want to share a little bit of music with you. All right. Welcome back. So this question of how we define ourselves, how we talk to ourselves about ourselves is really pretty important. Um, When we talk about who we are as pagans, as Wiccans, talking about the idea that what we believe in, what we do and how we live our lives and how we intend to show up in the world. And so much of what so many people in this community do is so much about being of service. Um, And all of the ways that we can be of service are great. But when we define ourselves by what we're not, by the fact that we don't believe in a devil, we don't believe in, in, uh, in Satan, we don't believe in all of the, the negativity and in hell and all of that kind of stuff. That's all true. But, saying what we affirmatively are and who we truly are is really the is really the goal I think of having a conversation with people who are not pagans about what it is we think we're doing and when I th- the reason that that came up is, you know, I mentioned Esther Hicks and Abraham earlier, and one of the things she discusses quite a bit is a four-step process, a manifestation process for leveraging the power of the law of attraction. That is really the, and it may be five steps, but that is really the foundation of her work and, and their work. There are a lot of perspectives on the law of attraction, and, but we do know it is a hermetic law an interesting note is that the first step is to, according to Esther Hicks, the first step in Abraham's process is to become aware of what it is you don't want. Now, very often we're, when we go through our somebody training, everything goes fine for a while until it doesn't. And then we are faced with a choice and a decision about how we're going to deal with what has gone sideways. And, The first thing that we do is we say, well, I don't want this. You know, if I lose my job, well, I don't want to be unemployed. I don't want to be unemployed, and I really, really don't want to be unemployed. And the law of attraction would say that the more I focus on unemployed, the less less success I'm likely to have in finding a new job. And so knowing what you don't want is important because it will launch for you, as, as Abraham says, as Esther Hicks says, a, it, it will create a desire. It will put a desire in your heart, in your spirit, for what you do want. So if we're able to, say, we get through the anger and we get through the dislocation of whatever it is that's happened to us, and the next step is we say, well, what do we want instead? How would we like our life to be? And the first step in reclaiming your sacred path is creating a vision for your life path. Because I can remember being in that state of feeling like nothing was going right. I was com- completely de- devoid of any connection with spirit and nothing I was doing was working. All of the things that I thought I was, that I had in my in my capability to, to become, to be connected with spirit, I thought I was doing it. But based on how I was feeling, I wasn't. So I could sit and look at that and say, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way until, you know, for a long time and not change anything until I began to say, well, what do I want? And in my case, as I talk about in the book, I found the book Wicca and Witchcraft for the Complete Idiot at a used book sale. And I picked it up and I had never really studied Wicca before. And I started looking through it and a lot of it looked familiar in terms of the principles. And I said, I wonder what would happen if I did everything this book said. And so that was my goal, was to was to get myself to where I wanted to be, to where I needed to be by following this pathway, and I began to get moving. And so the first step is to know what you don't want, but the second is to decide what you do want. And it may come to you, like that book came to me, as kind of an epiphany and, and sort of a coincidence, right? The third step, though, is really critically important. The third step is to keep your attention on what it is you do want. And that can be really, really difficult because we have so many ways that we can be distracted. And I was reminded of this, actually, uh, over the last few days, the last week or so, by a couple of uh, insights. And one I got from, I got an email from uh, commondreams.org. Uh, and the email said that, in order to make change, we need to demonstrate anger. And my immediate reaction was that that will be the catalyst to get us to make change. But the process of making change is about creating a vision for what we want the world to be like. And having a having the ability to express the loving, commitment to making it happen. I mean, I'm trying to imagine if, I try to imagine if, you know, if the the people who are running for office at this point, um, you know, anybody who's running for any kind of office, standing up and talking about the problems we need to solve, well, focusing on problems, solving problems is important, but having a common definition and a common vision of the solution and the criteria the solution must meet is really critical. And so thinking about and courage, of course, is the the ability to stay the course. And that is really crucial. And we what we so anger is sort of like the starter motor on your car. You know, if you've ever driven a standard transmission car, maybe an older one, uh, you can put the car in gear and turn the key and it'll move forward. But it will not go very fast and it won't go very far before you potentially burn out that motor. Cause the purpose of that motor, just like the purpose of anger is to engage the larger engine. And in this case with anger, its purpose is to engage our frontal lobe that incredibly capable thought machine that we have available to us to imagine a future, to imagine a future that we want to create that, and not even say it's different from the one we have, just to say, where do we go from here? And then have the courage to stay the course. And courage is as much about love and commitment as it is about bravado. So now anger is a really powerful emotion, right? It's often the first reaction we have when we see massive injustice, a terrible tragedy, hypocrisy, harm, we become very angry. And if all we do, and this is is the key, because if all we do is become angry and express that anger, we will eventually burn out. We will eventually become desensitized to those stimuli. And so if we can look at the pattern of things that are wrong and say, what do we want to build instead? What if every politician, instead of standing up and talking about problems, said, here's my vision for the world I think we can create. That would then let you say, well, do I buy into that vision? Do I see myself in that vision? Do I agree with the values that are being expressed here? And, you know, the thing is that the executive function of our brains is a relatively new development in evolutionary terms. And it's not immediately in charge unless we work to put it in charge. Our reptilian brain, our primitive brain, our we react first to everything emotionally. And, That is the first receiver of the experience. Now, most of us have the ability to have that reaction and then think about it and then speak. Sometimes we don't. But if we allow that reaction unhindered access to our conscious process, we will react impulsively and powerfully. Think about the number of times you've seen somebody post on Facebook. Okay, I'm not allowed to text at 1 o'clock in the morning anymore. Um, Or people, you know, who I I know... uh, Many people, I've done it myself where I've posted something or a response to something and I've said, wait a minute, and I've just deleted it. Because what I realize is that simply venting my anger is not going to accomplish anything. I have to take that energy and I have to create a plan and I have to implement that plan to make something new happen and envision that new thing. So fight or flight is our first reaction. But we can learn to put, that's what mindfulness is all about, is learning to put our cognitive or our executive function in charge. You know, courage is a key leadership skill and demonstrating commitment to what you truly value in the face of opposition is a true strength for, for people who are really good at it. And the fact that vision and love were missing We're going to be, if all we're doing is being angry and using bravado to push things forward, we're going to be in opposition to others who are doing the same thing. And all of the behavioral research tells us that if you have a goal and you have forces that are pushing you toward that goal and forces pushing against it, if you increase the forces pushing toward the goal, you will increase the resistance. They increase together. If you release the resistance, you allow that energy that's pushing it forward to push it forward. And so releasing is about accepting, it's about empathizing, it's about listening, and it's about finding common ground to the extent that we can. Now there are times that it's non-negotiable and that's a a whole different conversation, Um, but I'm not talking about the most extreme cases here. So if we use the energy to define our vision of what good is, we can invoke... The truly most powerful force in the universe to help us. We can leverage the power of love. So your anger tells you what you don't want. That's Abraham's step one. Using your mind to envision what you do want, your vision for what good is, is step two. It invokes your love for that vision. So attraction is love. Law of attraction is essentially a law of love. So defining ourselves by what we're not is going to get us more of what we're not and get us facing more of what we're not F- talking about what we are and affirming what we are and what we believe and who we are is a really uh is really the critical agenda is turning that to creating and envision envisioning and creating the world that we want to create so in the dark half of the year create that vision that's step one of reclaiming your sacred path step zero is saying, you know, is being able to look at yourself and say, okay, I forgot why I'm here. I need to figure this out. And then working to create that vision using whatever means you have vision boards, contemplative walks in nature, vision quests, whatever visioning experiences that you know of that have helped, that can help you and have helped you in the past to say, what am I going to do next? The important thing is Not to be only focused on the tower card experience we're having right now, as all of the institutions that we have come to rely on are crumbling around us. And we can focus on the crumbling. We can recognize that what will be left is the material from which the new world can rise from the ashes and placing our focus on that world we want to create in our own small or large way. Uh, According to our gifts and invoking spirits to help. And the thing about invoking spirit to help is really, really interesting. I, when I, um, I've told this story before, I apologize if this is a repetition for you, but um, when I took the motorcycle safety class, I learned one principle that really stuck with me, which was that speed stabilizes the bike. It works with bicycles, too. If you try to balance a bicycle or a motorcycle that's not moving and try to get your feet off the ground, you're going to be very tippy, right? But the moment you get moving, however, just a few miles an hour, everything stabilizes, everything aligns, you're in balance as long as you're moving. And it's my belief that, that asking spirit for help is like that, unless we're moving, spirit can't do things spirit will not do things for us because we have free will but once we get moving along our path, spirit will guide spirit will help us manifest spirit will help us heal and staying in connection with spirit with divination manifestation and healing is what's going to sustain us as we walk our sacred paths and so We're almost getting to the end of our time, and what I'd like to do is play you a little more music, and then I want to close with a few other thoughts and tell you about the next show. All right. Welcome back. I want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, and before I, before I wrap this up, I want to talk about uh, reclaiming your sacred path a little bit more in terms of, as I said, the first step is really creating a vision for what you want your life path to be. That phase zero is that moment of realization that things are not right, that something needs to be different that there's more to us than meets the eye, that we have the ability to connect with spirit and connect with deity, and we just don't know how to do it. And so creating a vision for what we want our life path to look like, how do you want to be connected with deity? How do you want to be showing up at work and in your relationships and in the way that you manage your well-being? And then really clarifying the values that are most important to you. What is most important to you? What do you value Beyond all else, what are, and using that to using that information, if, for example, you're driven by achievement, you're driven by interdependence, you love to be working with people and connected with people, or you're driven by spirit, you're driven by you're driven by material success, perhaps. But if your values are about community and are about about learning and about growth. Then using those values to create a set of guiding principles for yourself that say, this is my vision for my life path. And here are the principles and the criteria by which I would want to be judged. This is what has integrity for me. And then looking at that vision and those values and doing a frank assessment about to what extent do I resemble that? To what extent am I there right now? And it may be that the vision you create and the values you identify are not new to you. But the question is, are you are you living that way? Are you doing it to the extent that you want to be doing, following that sacred path? And once we do that assessment, then we really have a couple of things that we end up doing. We do our shadow work. We go inward and we find out what are the things that are blocking me from that which I most desire, Right. What are, the, what are the experiences, what are the beliefs, the ways that I talk to myself that are really more about defining the things that I do wrong than really affirming my strengths and my capabilities. And as we work through those shadow issues, and there are many ways to do that, and over the course of these shows, we'll be talking with people who have ways that they do it and techniques to share. And we will talk in more detail about all of those kinds of things. But Doing your shadow work is important. Um, and then really saying, what skills and capabilities do I need to develop? Because there are three pieces to walking your sacred path. Divination, your ability to connect with and get your own autonomous information from deity, is a critical piece. And whether you do that through clairvoyance, through clairaudience, through again, through any of the clairs or whether you do it with tarot cards or with runes or with the I Ching or whatever, or just by, or whatever meditation that you do. Um, However, you get that information, being able to tune in and learn to tell the difference between the voice of your ego and the voice of spirit, the voice that has your best interests and your soul's evolution at heart. And Manifestation is focusing and directing energy. When I found that book at that used bookstore, what I saw was divination, focusing and directing energy, and healing. And focusing and directing energy is the ability to do exactly that. There is one power in the universe, and each of us is a manifestation of that power. And we can can share that power with others. Those of you who are energy healers know perfectly well that you can, you can channel and share healing energy with others. And it's all one energy. It is the universal life energy that is essentially unconditional love. And so being able to focus and direct that energy toward your intentions, once you decide what it is you do want using whatever means necessary, whether it's spell work, or whether it's work in the mundane world to make these things happen. Um, That's manifestation. And because that's a lot of work, that takes some effort. We need to engage in healing and reflection. It's why, just like we have this cycle of the year, where we have great activity and then we have rest. Uh, And it's like going to the gym. You don't build a muscle when you're lifting weight. That tears the muscle down. You build the muscle in the rest period in between. And as we now enter this dark half of the year, it is the rest period for this year where we can reflect and we can recharge and we can heal and we can start making, creating our vision and making our plans for what the light half of next year is going to look like. So that's the process and you can repeat it as often as you like. And so That's reclaiming your sacred path. And thank you again for being with me tonight. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I am still learning this blog talk radio platform. So the, uh, the music gaps were, uh, will be ironed out. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for hanging with me. And next week's show, uh, is, or the next show rather, which is going to be two weeks from tonight is going to be a, is going to feature a conversation with, uh, a good friend and a a very talented man named Dennis Dossett, who is the author of an upcoming book on conscious living called dancing with the energy. And I think you're going to really enjoy that conversation. Um, This, this idea of conscious living of active mindfulness, applied mindfulness is something that Dennis is very passionate about and works with people um, in many ways to help them achieve a level of conscious living that gives them satisfaction. And so Dennis will be sharing concepts and principles and things that we can do to come fully into alignment with who we truly are and act authentically in our work and our relationships and to manage our own well-being. So that's what we're going to be doing next time. And so what I'd like you to do is to just join me in reclaiming your sacred path. If you are interested in the book, If you're interested in the book, you can get it through my website, www.powerandhealing.com. And you will see where you can go to get the book. One of the places that it's available is at the CORE store, C-O-R-R store of the Corellian tradition. And if you go to the Corellian nativist tradition website, C-O-R-R-E-L-L-I-A-N.com, uh, you will find the core store and you can get the book there. Um, you can also find out more about me, as I said, and about the book and about the work that I do at www.powerandhealing.com. And if you happen to be in Portland, you can find it, find the book at Powell's world of books, new Renaissance bookshop. And here in Washington, a number of places have it as well. And so I want to thank you for being with me tonight. I've had, a good time talking about reclaiming your sacred path. And I hope you join me two weeks from tonight for reclaiming your sacred path with Dennis Dossett to talk about conscious living and dancing with the energy. I hope you've enjoyed your time here on reclaiming your sacred path on pagans tonight radio network where every night is pagans tonight. I'm your host, John Anastasio, and I want to thank you for spending your time with me this evening. If you have any questions or you'd like more information about anything we've discussed tonight, please email me at at powerandhealing.com. And please check out my website, www.powerandhealing.com, to learn more about my healing work and the group and individual learning experiences that I offer to help you reclaim your sacred path. If you're interested in the book, Reclaiming Your Sacred Path, you can find it at the CORE store, C-O-R-R store, of the Corellian nativist tradition. And that website is www.corellian.com. And please join me on the first and third Thursdays of the month at 8 p.m. Central Time for more conversation about growth and the human spirit. Until we meet again, may you blessed be.
0: You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night,